Good morning and welcome to Crossroad Christian Church. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, looks like we're going to have probably a few drifting in here. Um, we like to start our services with a scripture. Today is no exception. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 says this. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding and knowledge. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And you know what? I'm going to read one more verse, even though it's not on there. Sorry. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here together and to be able to praise your name. Father, we, uh, we ask in, in Jesus' precious holy name that we will all have our hearts and minds focused toward you this morning. May you give us the, the wisdom and the discretion uh, to know your word and to apply it to our lives. And this morning, as we, as we sing to you, may these words uh, bless you, Father, not simply because uh, of the lips that say them, Lord, but because of the hearts behind them. Help us to mean the things that we sing. Help us to be engaged in the message. Help us to be fully connected when we, when we take the Lord's Supper. Help us to commune with you and with one another. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. Would you stand?
Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise.
How many times have you been traveling down the road and you're talking on the phone, which you're not supposed to be, but we do it all, and you go over a hill and you lose connection. Your conversation, no matter how important it was, it's, it's over. The connection is gone. Yesterday I was driving my bulldozer and I had my headphones on that's connected to my phone and I was working and batteries went dead and lost my connection. I had to sing to myself the rest of the afternoon. It was, it was bad. But the connection is important when we think about Jesus. And as we come to communion this morning, connection, as you think about it, this is the one point in our worship. Sure, we, we, we connect with God when we praise him. And we connect with him through his word. But we connect through him mostly through communion. In uh, Matthew, Jesus is talking and and uh, uh, he said, while they were sitting, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink of the, drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's connection. Let's pray. Our dear and loving Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we pray, Father, that you would bless this bread. In Jesus' own words, it's his body. We pray that you would bless this cup that he says is his blood. Father, it was given for us there at Calvary. And Father, it's very precious. What more can a person give than to give his life? And he did it for us. Father, we thank you for the connection between you and us through Jesus Christ and his blood shed for us. Father, help us never to forget. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. This time to stop and reflect. Time to, Father, connect with you. We pray, Father, that you would bless the rest of the services. But, Father, we pray your blessings upon this offering that's fixing to be collected. And, Father, we bring these to you as a gift because of what you've given to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you're visiting or you visited a few Sundays in a row or you're new, you would look at that wall and go, wow, they paint the wall for spring. I wonder if they paint it back to purple in the fall. <laughs> so, uh, I did not see any new prayer requests out in the lobby. Does anybody have any new prayer requests that they'd like to share or updates? Yes? What's his name? Jerry? Anybody else? Yeah, I know Craig mentioned his, his mom's having a real tough time uh, in, the, in the rehab that she's in um, for falling, not for, he should be specific about what kind of rehab she's in. Um, Fran is really struggling with, with that. Anybody else? All right, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day to come together and to worship with like-minded believers. Father, we take a moment now to lift up our prayer list to you and, and so many things going on in the church and uh, some of the new ones on there from uh, Naomi with a kidney infection and um, Mark, Mark's friend Carolyn with a, a large tumor in her back. So many things going on, Lord, but also praises and with Winnie and her bruises and soreness starting to ease and the fact that there were no broken bones from her fall and that Terry's home uh, and, and recuperating and getting better every day from her surgery, Lord. There's, yes, there's lots of needs and there's lots of things going on, but there's also lots of praises, Lord, as we see you at work. Father, we lift up Fran to you today. Uh, know that she's having a very difficult time with um, recovery from her fall and uh, just being in a new place now and uh, just so many things going on with her and I just lift her up and Father I just pray that you would ease her heart and her mind today and that you would give her rest um, and freedom from her uh, anxiety and worrying. Lord we lift up Jerry as well who's in skilled nursing uh, facility and not doing um, very well right now and then the same for him Lord that uh, you would just uh, ease his heart and mind and let him know that that you're there. Father, we ask for uh, your compassion and healing on all these uh, who are suffering, and we ask 
that in all these circumstances that those mentioned would feel your loving embrace, that your name would be glorified, and that your will would be done. We especially remember the ministry supported by Crossroad, that they would have the financial and prayer support needed to continue. Father, we lift up the leaders you've placed over us uh, at all levels, from our local city leaders to the state, to the Congress, and to the President of the United States. Lord, we pray that they would be convicted to govern and act in accordance with your will. Lord, we lift up the universal church of which all Christians are part, regardless of where we worship on Sunday morning, Lord. We pray for its leadership, especially that they would adhere to and preach the teachings of the Bible, that they would continue to spread the gospel message of redemption through belief in Jesus Christ to all. Father, lastly, we pray for Mark today as he delivers your message to us that each person's heart and mind would be open to the message that you have planned for them today. Father, we just pray that you would bring revival in our hearts and minds, in this church and its leadership, in our community, and throughout the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, I have one announcement, Mark, before you get to come up. Sit back down. Uh, can you go ahead and show the slide? Uh, okay. Uh, car maintenance ministry. We've been talking about this for a little while. Um, and uh, we need volunteers. Uh, as we talk about this, this is going to be kind of a huge undertaking. may not take a village, but it's going to take a church. Um, so uh, there's lots of things that, that we need help with. We're going to invite a lot of uh, single parents, probably mostly women, but um, uh, from Shiloh Place, past and present, and from other places as well. So we're actually going to offer this on two days, on a Saturday and on a Sunday, because they're, you know, they work and they have schedules. Uh, so we're going to, um, at least right now, we're planning to do it two days in a row, uh, sun, on a Saturday morning-ish and on a Sunday after church. And so um, those are just the example of some of the things that we need help doing, but we just need people. So if you're breathing uh, and you're willing, you're qualified. Um, so there is a sign-up sheet out in the auditorium or, or contact me or Mark or, or anybody. Um, there's going to be lots to do. I understand somebody had a car. It had a scratching in the back or something. So there, there's lots of cars that need to be worked on. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, and then also as, as a side to that, but in preparation for that and other things, uh, this Saturday uh, a lot of the ladies are getting together to clean up Tomlinson Hall and do a deep clean on it, kind of like we did in the church. So I know that there's already some clean, uh, set up for that, but uh, if there's other volunteers, please see Mary. She's in charge of that one, and I hear there's free food at that one, so I'll probably be there to help. Uh, maybe conveniently late, but I'll be there. Thank you. Hope Women's Center has a couple of job openings. Uh, anyone interested can send the resume to Darlene at myhope.com. That's D-A-R-L-E-N-E -E at myhope.org. I said com. That's incorrect. Dot org. Uh, they're looking for a full-time patient services specialist, which would be like a receptionist, administrative assistant type thing. And they're also looking for a part-time bookkeeper. 
So uh, I've actually emailed a couple of our CPAs and sent that to them, so maybe they'll uh, respond. I don't know for sure. but um, And then there's the auto maintenance that Dave mentioned. Um, anything else? Oh, I got one, actually. Um, if you haven't already filled out one, some of you, some of y'all visitors, frequent visitors, uh, if you haven't filled out one yet, fill out one of those little uh, forms so that we have your information so that we can um, come visit you surprisingly, <laughs> so that we have your information, so that we know where you are and all that stuff. Um, and also, so you might occasionally get a visit from somebody that uh, will threaten to break your arms if you don't give us, no, I'm kidding. I, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, my, my mind is scattered this morning. <laughs> uh, what's that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, good morning, church family. Once again, I am thankful to be able to share God's word with his people uh, through the power of his spirit. This is something that I really enjoy doing, um, and I hope you stick with me through the entirety of today's message because it, it's an important subject for us. Uh, especially as American Christians. Uh, it speaks to the heart of our faith. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at just two verses from this chapter today. That's verses 44 and 45. Um, so y'all turn there, and, um, and I'm just going to ask this. Uh, if y'all would mind standing and reading with me, that'd be great. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Father God, we just ask in Jesus' name uh, that you'll be with each one of us, Father, this morning that we'll be good soil. I know I pray that pretty much every Sunday, Lord, but it's so important that we just, we, we be good soil, God. I pray that we don't choke out the word that you put in, that we, we're not stony-hearted, Father, but as you plant the word... Uh, I just pray that you will help us to, uh, to be receptive to it. And as always, I pray that it will take root and bear fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, I don't remember it sounding like that. <laughs> Is it the new carpet? I don't know. I need a reset button for today, I swear. <laughs> My mind is all over the place. Um, luckily, I do have, as you said, the script. Um, so I just wanted to share, you know, just really quickly before I get into this. I'm sorry, but this is really good stuff. Most of you are familiar with David Gilbert because you've seen him before. He's preached in this pulpit a few times. Uh, some of you know him as Gilby One Kenobi and other things like that. David Gilbert, yesterday uh, we got to celebrate if you didn't see the video, you didn't know that. We got to celebrate with him and with his wife, Mindy, and with their son, Colin, as they adopted Cheyenne, the little girl that they have been fostering. Yeah, you can clap. That's awesome. They, they've been fostering this precious child for years now. And we got to go and celebrate with them and with friends and family. We were only there for a little bit because we had other things that we were supposed to be at. But what a blessing. And when you think about adoption and the fact that a parent chooses a child that they don't have to choose. Uh, that's so powerful. That's what God does. We are adopted by God. That's amazing. Just think about that for a second. 
We are adopted by God. He chose us. He made us his own. Mm, it just brings Roman 8, you know, just whew, right out, doesn't it? Anyway, uh, so this is an interesting situation that we're seeing happening in the early church. And I'm going to be just up front and ask you guys this. Please do not answer out loud yet, okay? On the surface, what does this description sound like? I'm going to read it again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any has need. Think about that. Read it again in your mind if you need to, okay? Here's what I want you to do. On the count of three, okay, I want everyone to please say out loud what word comes to mind so I can see if our brains work the same way. One, two, three. Socialism. Okay. That's what I was expecting. It sounds like socialism, doesn't it? Does that word make some of y'all want to scrub your ears? Because I know, I know most of you kind of lean to the right like I, I pretty much do. But listen, there is a deep, deep message in these, in these two sentences here, and I don't want us to miss it. So please, please do everything in your power to not tune me out over the next few minutes, no matter where you stand politically, okay? By the way, for those of you who don't normally attend here, I just, I want to say this. I take great pains not to use this lectern as a bully pulpit for politics, okay? I will speak very clearly and very openly on moral issues that the Bible addresses. And so sometimes, you know, topics are going to appear to be on the same, you know, the, some point on the political spectrum, and, and that's fine. But my desire and my duty in preaching the word is that you be convicted, corrected, comforted, and completed by what God says. Okay, does that make sense? Are we, okay. Okay. So before we dive into this text, there are three statements I'd like to share with you guys to set up this message, okay, and to see if we can all get on the same page. The first one is that everyone in this room currently lives in a partly democratic socialist nation. Now, most of us would probably say we live in a capitalist economy. That, that's partially true, okay? But the fact is, before anyone in this room was born, with the possible exception of Jerry, no, I'm kidding, uh, <laughs> This, just kid, I love you, brother. <laughs> this, this nation was already involved in socialism. The Social Security Act was passed in 1935. That's a long time ago, okay? And that meant, some of you are going, it's not that long ago. <laughs> and, but that meant that working people would be required to give some of their paycheck to support those who are entering retirement age, as well as to provide what they called a safety net for those who were unemployed but trying to find work. Um, and then about 30 years later came the Great Society, and that was LBJ. Uh, and that included massive welfare expansion. It included Medicare. It included Medicaid, all of which are, again, paid by the tax dollars of those who work. Okay? So in a very real sense, the income of many of the higher earners in society is collected by the government, and it's redistributed to those who earn less or earn nothing at all, uh, depending on sometimes due to their own choice, sometimes not. This is, in fact, one of the basic tenets of socialism. And while our, our economy is basically capitalist, our, our social programs have been socialistic since pre-World War II. So, so that's statement number one. Would you agree with that? Okay. Statement number two is that historically, the increasing trend of state-sponsored uh, socialism often leads to either fascism or communism. Okay? 
You know, Hitler, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing this in the face of Godwin's Law, if you're familiar with Godwin's Law. Hitler started with socialism, moved into fascism, okay? Stalin started with socialism, actually Lenin, socialism, moved into communism, okay? Now, these two things, fascism and communism, they, they're, and, and also socialism, they're different on paper, but in practice, both end up with the state in charge of controlling the means of production and the distribution of wealth, okay? So, without going into it too deeply, I, I, I don't want to, this is not a, a, a politics thing, I, I just want to point out that governmental fascism and governmental communism nearly always end up with a massive loss of individual freedoms and a huge pile of bodies in its wake, okay? Typically, it results in state-sponsored mass murder. Now, today is not meant to be a history lesson on, on, on the evils of tyrannical states. I, I think we're all aware of the danger of creating another Nazi Germany or USSR or communist China, but I want to point out something that is very important to today's subject, which is that human nature is flawed and sinful, okay? And, and governments and societies are made up of people with human natures. And so whenever we entrust ourselves and our resources to other people, there will eventually be those who will take advantage of that, okay? Whatever they, if they, if they don't believe in accountability to a higher authority, and this, this is why fascism and communism historically end up maiming the nations that practice them. They start looking like a good idea, right? It starts out looking like a good idea, and then it ends up destroying the very people that are supposed to be protected. Now, why am I going into all this, okay? Because you might be like, dude, this sounds pretty political for a thing that's not supposed to be political. Look, because of the third statement, which so many people are making today based on these two verses, which is that the early church was socialist and or communist, now, we'll examine this claim a little more in depth later in the message, but I want to say right now, by definition, this assessment is incorrect, okay? That said, there are some similarities by which people draw comparison, but I want to say up front that what was happening in the early church was very different from what any state-sponsored economy in the world practices. Now, first, the early church functioned as a faith society, as opposed to socialism. Merriam-Webster helps by defining society in part as an enduring and cooperating social group whose members have developed organized patterns of relationship through interaction with one another. On top of that, the early church also functioned as a faith community, okay? Which again, Merriam-Webster helps us out. It, it, it shows that a community is an interacting population of various kinds of individuals, and also that it may mean joint ownership, or participation. So rather than, rather than being ruled over by a coercive government that, that collected and distributes wealth in a way that benefits itself, the early church showed one of the true marks of faith by their extravagant generosity, which is our subtitle today. So, so we're going to go back over these two verses. And we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us. So starting in verse 42, Luke writes, And all who believed were together. So all the believers were together, right? And since, since we know there are at least at this point 3,000 believers, it makes sense to understand this not, not as meaning that they traveled everywhere in a large group. I mean, can you imagine? But, but rather that they were consistently hanging out together in smaller groups. In, 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 today's, in today's church vernacular, okay, this would be referred to as doing life together. 
And I, I generally I kind of shy away from from like the trendy church language, but this is a case where it totally fits. You know, these these folks had formed a tightly knit community of people, and and they shared uh, their life experience with one another. And today in the U.S., this concept is kind of foreign to us in a lot of ways. I mean, how many of you live in a neighborhood where you talk to only a handful of people in the whole neighborhood? You know, or maybe, maybe you don't even know the names of your closest neighbors. Or maybe you're afraid your closest neighbors will shoot you in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is kind of sad, isn't it? But let me ask you this, because, because I know some of you Some of you know what I'm talking about. How great is it? How great is it when you come across someone amongst your neighbors, in your immediate neighborhood, that is a like-minded believer? Isn't that cool? Last night we shared, we we broke bread. We shared uh, dinner with some really good friends of ours who are very like-minded believers who live in our neighborhood. And there's a few other uh, people that are that are in. In fact, one one day I posted on Facebook. This is a long time ago. For some reason, God was just moving on my heart. He was like, "You need to pray for the persecuted church." And so I posted on Facebook and I said, "Does anybody want to come to my house and have coffee with me and pray for the persecuted church?" And there were, I think, three or four people that ended up coming over. And I made some very dear friends in our neighborhood who are who are like-minded Christians. And actually, some of them are here this morning. Um, and and it's it's powerful. It's wonderful to have that experience. I made some very good friends. Anyway, there's something that's just really special about being together with other Christians who love and glorify God and, and who, who have the Holy Spirit inside them. Meaning that they, they love you just as much as you love them, right? So, now, okay, we don't see the following subpoints in this particular text, but we know this from earlier in the chapter and from later in the book of Acts, that there's some qualities to these believers that make the fact that they're hanging out together so much cooler, okay? So we're going to talk about those. Uh, first of all, we know that the early church was extremely diverse. They were very diverse. Can anyone define diverse or use it in a sentence? This preacher makes diverse jokes I've ever heard. <laughs> no? The selection at the grocery store is very diverse. Good. It means having a lot of variation, right? Okay. A lot of variation. Remember what happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. When the apostles began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them that ability, uh, there were at least 14 different languages that people recognized. And that means there were at least 14 you know, different people groups that were present to hear the gospel message. You know, Jerusalem at the time was... was was certainly a, a, Jewish, a Jewish city by population um, and, you know, by religious affiliation, but it was also something of a melting pot, culturally speaking. Because during the feast days, which was, you know, when Pentecost was, you had people coming from all over the place. And they were coming to worship at the temple because that was the religious requirement that every Jewish male had to worship at the temple. According to the law, it was three times a year. Typically, they only did it once because... You know, that's just how it went. But many of them brought their families, too. Okay, Now, the culture back then was, was, it was called Hellenized. It was very Greek, all right? But there would still be variation between the different groups that spoke the different languages, all right? So, so we learned from later in Acts, there were people as far away as Ethiopia 
you know, who were worshiping the Lord God, and they would come all the way into to the temple. And, and so there was probably some diversity of nationality and of skin color and stuff. So this diversity was a magnificent quality of the early church. And I think that the American church is not quite as good at modeling that. It was said back in the early 50s, and then it was, a lot of people say, well, that was Martin Luther King Jr. A lot of say it was, it was Malcolm X. I'll tell you, both Malcolm X and Dr. King were quoting from uh, the, the, the president of a university when he said that uh, the most segregated hour of the week is when? 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And this is an unfortunate, very unfortunate truth in our country, even today in many places. And it's not just about culture, nationality, or skin color. You know, denominationalism has become an, an, an ever-present issue in the American church, and not just here, you know. It's, it's, it's all over the world. And, and one of the trends over the last couple of decades that I really struggle with is the forming of churches around a specific hobby or lifestyle. Okay, now, now I'm, I'm going to tread carefully here. I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with biker churches or cowboy churches, okay? I just I want to make that clear, especially when they, they, they don't mandate that you be a biker or a cowboy to get in. It's quite possible that there might be a biker who is seeking a relationship with God that's going to feel more comfortable going into a church building that contains people that kind of look and think like him, right, yeah, or, or her. But really, is that an accurate representation of the kingdom of God? When you get to heaven, do you expect everyone to look like you? I hope nobody said yes. <laughs> if so, check yourself. Uh, listen, we're not going to have the same hair, the same clothes, the same skin color. We're, we're not going to have the same politics, believe it or not. You know, or we're not going to have the same music, we're not going to have the same food, we're not going to have the same culture, but we're all going to be in heaven because of Jesus Christ and our faith, amen, and God's grace. And this is where we get to the second part of our sub-point. Um, for a long time, we've heard that the strength of our nation is in our diversity, right? Well, that's really inaccurate, <laughs> because as some folks have pointed out, diversity is only a strength when it's experienced in a culture of unity. Our country is very divided today, unfortunately. The early church was diverse, but they were unified. They had a common cause. They even had a common, a common person in the form of their resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, so all, their, all of this uniqueness and all of this diversity was really beneficial to the faith community. It wasn't detrimental. It was a good thing. Now think about this from a national perspective. In the, last, in the last 10 or 15 years, has our country become more divided or less divided? Say it out loud. More divided. It's been pointed out that America has become less of a melting pot. Now it's more like a salad bar, you know? Everybody's separating themselves out. People are starting to create safe spaces for themselves. And as, as much as many of us tend to make fun of that term, we do it ourselves too. We do. We might pick on those people over there that make their safe spaces. We create our own. We end up hanging out with people that think just like we do. You know, the, the, look, broadcasting. You remember when, I even remember this, and I'm not that old. Uh, you remember when broadcasting meant there were basically three news channels, right? 
and they would all kind of give you the say, they would all give you the scoop on what was happening in the world, and there wasn't so much of a political agenda behind it. Okay, broadcasting is done. What we have now is narrow casting, and it's it's usually to a niche group. And so so what we have is, is we're all becoming comfortable being ensconced in our own little echo chambers, right? And and only we only hear those who look and think like us and agree with us. And while that might strengthen our, our microcosmic bubbles, it causes us to see everybody else in, in, is on the outside. So we start thinking of ourselves and other people in, in the terms of us versus them. We think us versus them. Not so in the church. Now some of you are probably thinking, but Mark, it is us versus them. It, it's the church versus the world. No, it is not supposed to be the church versus the world, Okay even if the world is versus us. God intends for his church to be for the world in the same sense that he is. For God loved the world in this way. Say it with me. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Does that sound like us versus them? Does it? And now, guys, this doesn't mean that we join the world in, in, in the, the, the practice of sin or the celebration of sin, which we're seeing all over the place. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that we should show the world the truth in love, just as the early church did, even if it means laying down our rights, even if it means laying down our lives. I know that doesn't sit well with many of us. We think about, well, my rights are ensconced in the Constitution. Sometimes you got to give a little for the sake of somebody else. We're going to talk about that more in coming weeks, but, but right now, let's get back, just for today, get back on track. Even now, in 2021, just as it was in the first century, Christ is glorified most effectively not by having every Christian look and sound exactly the same. It's by having a diverse group of people who are very different from one another all being unified in the same heart, mind, and purpose. I think of Jesus' disciples. You had Matthew, a tax collector, who was in the same group of disciples as Simon, the zealot. Those two would have been at each other's throats under normal circumstances, and here they were. That's about as far left and right as you could get in that society. But in Christ, they were unified. Okay. I, I hope that that's been driven home. Diversity is a strength when it's implied in the context of unity which is made so very clear in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians when he explains that the body of Christ is made up of many different parts that each have different functions. Thank you for that reminder, Dana, when we talked the other day. You know, that is the example that's set by the early church, and that's one that we should imitate today, okay? The believers were together, and these verses show that they were engaged in a loving faith community. And so their, their unity and the way that they related to one another, uh, it showed that they considered one another equal in inherent value. That is a big deal. They saw the intrinsic worth of each person. We live in a culture that is quick to devalue people. 
Often the elderly and the disabled are, are treated like castoffs. You know, preborn children are murdered in the womb. Fathers are treated as unimportant in the family unit. Not many generations ago, people were sold into slavery because of their skin color. And still today, some of their descendants are, are treated as political pawns. By both sides. There, there are ranking systems of value in our culture that, that they're based on external factors that we have no control over. But in the church, as we will continue to see throughout the book of Acts, no one was unimportant. No one. All believers were viewed as equal in their intrinsic worth, even if they serve at different levels in the church. And in fact, just a few years into the beginnings of the church, the Romans were consistently freaked out by the fact that a person might be a slave in their everyday society, but they might be a bishop or an elder in a church. Because the church doesn't care about your status. What did we read earlier? What did Danny read earlier? In Christ, there's, there's no male or female, no barbarian or city, no slave or free. You know, you can throw in there, no rich or poor, no black or white. We are all one in Christ. This is something the modern church really needs to to practice like the early church did. We, we live in a culture of celebrity. You know, and sadly, this even affects pastors and churches. The, the person who is to be celebrated is Christ Jesus, not a preacher, not a, a worship team or a worship leader, not, not a church that has a household name. It is not about decorating the palace. It's about faithfully building the kingdom, amen? You know, not every Christian is gifted in the same ways. But, and not everyone is granted the same you know, level of authority in the family or in the, the body of Christ. But all of us are in equal worth in the sight of God. When God looks at a believer, he sees Jesus, and so should we. Amen? Right? Are you with me? <laughs> okay, so, so all the believers were together, and they had all things in common. Now, this, this is where the narrative tends to go off the rails, right? Because people say, see, all things in common, communism. Uh, but, but there are two reasons to argue against that point of view. First, when we compare this extremely brief description with other places in the book of Acts, and when we view it in a first century Jewish context, uh, it, it doesn't fit the view that no one owned anything but it fits the view that Christians who owned things would choose to place it at, at the faith community's disposal. So, in, in other words, uh, in the words of John the Baptist, he who has two tunics should give one to him who has none. And he who has food should give to him who has none. This is not the same thing as the state assuming ownership of private property and doling it out as they so choose. Okay, in, in Acts chapter 5, Peter tells a person who just sold some of his land, he says, before you sold it, wasn't it your land? And once you sold it, wasn't it your money to do with as you saw fit? So, so clearly, private property in the church was still a thing, okay? And here we also see another key point contrasting the early church with state-sponsored socialism. For the Christians, the sharing of their personal property was entirely voluntary, the people shared their stuff for, with one another without any compulsion except for the love of God that was burning in their hearts for their fellow believers. And that's a good compulsion, right? I mean, I think about that. Isn't that awesome? When you read this description, you realize people are doing this out of the, the kindness, out of the love that God has placed in their hearts. 
What is it about the love of God that compelled believers to be so extravagantly generous? Well, we'll come back to that. Um, for now, I want us to look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I want you to notice here, they were selling, what were they selling? Their possessions and belongings. Right? Again, this wasn't an authoritarian government seizing the means of production and confiscating all the product. Okay? This was a group of extremely generous, joyful, gracious people who decided that divesting some of their stuff was a good thing to do. They were convicted of that by the Holy Spirit. And before we even talk about what they did with the proceeds, let's, let's look at the simple fact that they were willing to let go of some of their possessions. Do you think we sometimes have trouble letting go of our stuff? How many of us in here collect something? Or lots of somethings? I think the... I think we tend to do that. I, I, I certainly do. I'll admit it. Um, do any of you, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I can't make you anyway, but I know everybody in here should raise their hand to this question. Do any of us own anything that is very expensive, completely unnecessary, and relatively unused? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm not trying to be Jiminy Cricket, Okay. That, that's the Holy Spirit's job, y'all. I, I just want you to think about it. Do you find yourself attached to certain things that you're really not willing to get rid of? Have you ever evaluated, not your spouse, I'm not counting your spouse, you guys, okay? <laughs> Have you ever evaluated why you feel, I don't want to give you any ideas, babe. <laughs> have you ever thought, have you ever evaluated why you feel that way about a thing? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been convicted that you own something like that, and then you, you're convicted to sell it and give the money away. I have. I know some of us have. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, nah, <laughs> you don't need that. Do something good with it. Now, if so, was it a difficult decision for you? If you <laughs> this is just questions. I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to speak out loud necessarily. Just think about it. When you did this, did you find joy in it? I'll bet you did. I'll bet if you were convicted by the Holy Spirit to do something like that, I'll bet you felt joy when you did it. It's so much better than having that thing. Well, let's jump into the reason uh, that they were divesting themselves of some of their possessions. They did it for the purpose of sharing the proceeds with the needy. Now, why were they doing this? Where did that measure of grace come from? That the early church was willing to sell their stuff and just give the money away. You know, the Bible doesn't really give us a, a straight answer on this. To, at, least, at least not here, it doesn't. But if we read the word, we see hints of it show up in a few places. And one of them is in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. Okay, you're, you're, some of you are familiar with this. In chapter 8, Paul uses the Macedonian church as a phenomenal example of the kind of extravagant generosity that Christians ought to have. In verses 1 through 4, he writes... We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part 
and the relief of the saints. Did, did you catch that? I mean, did, did that like, these brothers and sisters were, they were themselves lacking. They, they were giving, Paul says, out of their extreme poverty in the midst of a severe test of affliction. Why? To help out people worse than themselves. A few verses later, we see Paul asking the Corinthians to be generous too. He tells them, see that you excel in this grace also. I, I love that he refers to giving as an act of grace. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. He says, you guys are Christians by profession. Let's see you show it by expression, right? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his, you, by his poverty, might become rich. Okay, before anybody starts getting nervous, okay, I want to clarify, this last verse has been twisted so far out of context by health and wealth preachers to say something it was never intended to say, okay? The second person of the triune God did not give up the glories of heaven, become human, and suffer through an agonizing death so that we could have fat wallets. That was not his purpose. And if you have ever been taught that this passage is referring to material wealth, you need to wipe that big fat lie out of your mind because you've been deceived. Jesus underwent the horrors of the cross so that we could enjoy the riches of knowing the Father both now and forever. That's what Paul means when he says that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. Church, if Jesus, if Jesus had not emptied himself, it goes back to that Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If Jesus had not emptied himself and, and humbled himself and become obedient to death on the cross, that we would have no hope. None. Jesus underwent all of that, this, this poverty of body and spirit in order that we might experience life and freedom from the ravages of sin and death. His resurrection from the grave proves that he was successful. And so, and this is the main point, I think, of this whole message, so, so, so pay attention, okay? Christians should live in extravagant generosity because God is extravagantly generous. Jesus is proof of that. He left his throne in heaven and became finite in order to accomplish the mission of providing salvation for his people. Now, that's pretty 